before we start this episode, just a really quick mention from the people who pay our bills, HubSpot. So here's the question. Ever wondered what unicorns eat for breakfast? Sometimes, actually. Yeah, I'm thinking something like Lucky Charms, Candy Floss, some kind of soup. Something horny. Well, actually, we don't know. But what we do know is that 20% of unicorn startups are using HubSpot, and for good reason. Yes, HubSpot's all-in-one platform levels up your sales software and support. Plus, they have a huge collection of resources to help startups scale. And with the HubSpot for Startups program, you can save big on your first year. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot, visit HubSpot.com slash startups. Is that I haven't yet discovered a business that's moved to a shorter work week that hasn't seen a very significant benefit when it comes to talent attraction and retention. Hello and welcome to the Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture podcast brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. My name is Leanne. I'm a business psychologist. And my name is Alan. I'm a business owner. And we are here to help you simplify the science of people and create amazing workplace cultures. Yes, we are. So we've got a great episode coming up for you in a second. Um, just a quick reminder with the water cooler if you're listening to this and it is before the 24th or the 25th of April or even the 25th and 26th of April is that are those the right dates <laughs> <laughs> technically <laughs> it still works because no it would absolutely yeah, still would. work yeah, yeah. Um, but the water cooler is the 25th and 26th of April uh, Tuesday and Wednesday is in London Excel 2003 just uh, 2003 2023 just in case you're listening to this in the future um, and uh, yeah, come down and see us because we are the official podcast partners. So we are going to be prancing around in very important with pet with it, microphones. It'll be, we're going to look mm-hmm. like one of those cool YouTube things, like Daniel Matt going, "Hey, what do you? What do you how do you get a car like that? What do you do for a living?" You haven't seen that. I have. Yeah. I like that. I do. I do like that. I like how some people just tell them to move off, and others are like, "Oh, hey, man, I'm this." I'm this. <laughs> but I yes. like the ones where they go, "I cannot talk to you about that." And I'm like, "Oh, I see." Yes, we should also mention, if you don't know what the water cooler is, it is like the the biggest, best event for anything to do with workplace culture and well-being in the UK. Um, So yeah, two days of lots of conferences and not lots of conferences, it's one conference with lots of talks, uh, workshops, a whole exhibition. Um, Yeah, it's going to be cool. So if you can make it, um, come on down. If you can't, don't worry, uh, because we will be bringing you an entire episode dedicated to everything we get up to at the water cooler. Additionally, if you are not following us on LinkedIn, then go and search for Truth, Lies and Work on LinkedIn and you'll find our page. Um, that's where we kind of comment. We post our posts, mm-hmm. post our posts, we post our episodes and we also comment about what goes on and we can just connect with people there and we connect two guests the other day, which was quite cool. Mm-hmm. Um, also, just want to give a shout out to three people who have recently commented. So if you have recently commented, then I could be saying your name. Angie Redman, uh, Sharon Summerfield and Beverly I'm going to say Logia. Logia? I would have said Logia. Ah, uh, Logia. But maybe it is Logia. Maybe you could maybe you could write to us, Beverly, um, and tell us how you actually sell you how you actually say your name. But those three those three lovely women were commenting on our very positively on our post, and I, the reason I picked them out was because they said they were going to go and listen. Ah. So if you are, oh, that's lovely, and Shaz, Bev, welcome. <laughs> Sounds like a really great '80s band. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. And Shaz and Bev. <laughs> and I tell you what, if you don't then get in touch with us and tell us you've heard this, then we know you won't have listened like you said you were going to do. And we'll call you out in a week's time and say, yeah, 
That's a little harsh. We would give them a couple of weeks, eh? But... Fair enough. <laughs> we won't do that. Really. <laughs> and anyway, they won't know because they've not listened. So, doesn't nah, true. true, true, true. Okay, so we are part of our regular um, regular scheduling. I don't know that I want to say that. Regular scheduling is that we have a little place called News Roundup, mm-hmm. where Leanne, we sit back and Leanne tells us three or four stories that's happening around about the world of people and psychology and workplace culture. So cue the jingle. Okay, so what have you got first, Leanne? Well, normally I would start with kind of a new word alert. Um, I haven't come across one this week and I thought it's just starting to feel a bit forced. You know, if we have a new word, we'll talk about the new word. If we don't, we won't. Um, So I was thinking to myself, what else could we do as a fun little part of the section? Um, So I came up with truth or lie. Nice. Bang on on brand. brand. Thank you. Um, So my thought was you can maybe give me a question about something you've heard related to the workplace or workplace culture the psychology of it all um and ask me is is this true or is this a lie well i'll tell you what i have always wanted to ask mm-hmm. is that I, based on um an episode with stella perks uh stella perks stella smith from perks a couple of weeks oh, ago that's, that's totally gonna be her name there isn't it Ste- Ste- stella perks stella perks stella perks um so based on that conversation at the beginning of that episode you said that um healthy normal people healthy people should go not have have 90 minutes without their phone and then not have a coffee for the first hour or something it was something like that Shall I do all this but again? No, I think what I actually suggested... <laughs> it wasn't that it was healthy. There was a suggestion that a low dopamine morning can contribute to our well-being throughout the day. And as part of that, suggestion is not to have caffeine within the first 90 minutes of being awake. Right, okay. So that's the bit I really wanted to ask you about. So I can't imagine not having a coffee within the first 30 minutes of waking up. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But is it like, is this a psychological... What's the word when you when there's a something effect... Where um, placebo placebo is a placebo that I I believe coffee wakes me up, and I believe therefore that if I'm flagging, I'll have a cup of coffee and it will wake me up. Or will it actually do that? Yeah, good question. Um, so coffee, caffeine, it stimulates our, our central nervous system. It's absorbed uh, pretty quickly um, into our body, into our brain. Um, and yeah, caffeine is a chemical actually blocks um, kind of our, our sleep promoting receptors in our brain, which is why we feel more awake and alert. So yeah, it's true. Um, but there are actually a few more work-related benefits to caffeine. Mm-hmm. So there is, because um, I guess my, my th- when, you know, when people go things like, I actually can't function before I have a cup of coffee. Mm. Like, is it that you can't function or is it, you say, that, that habit, that placebo? Mm. Well, there's been lots of, lots of different studies into this to see what the, the impact of caffeine has. And, and yeah, really interesting results. So one study found that caffeine led to what they called a striking improvement on memory tests taken early in the morning. Um, which is typically a low low point of, of memory. We also know that caffeine can help with visual processing. Um, so a team of researchers found that people um, improved in their ability to, to detect moving targets, um, which was quite interesting. So that could be from, you know, somebody, a pedestrian stepping in, in front of the road to football um, coming, coming to your head. Um, so yeah, there are some interesting, interesting cognitive um, benefits of caffeine um but you might want to be careful um if you have a creative role um so other studies have shown that while it does improve a range of cognitive abilities creativity is not one of them um so for example some researchers did um a test with some participants asking them to use divergent thinking um gave one group caffeine one group none found no difference uh, also some controversial research in the us um that physical heat can affect our perceptions of social warmth 
So by giving our boss or colleague a hot cup of coffee, uh, they might think better of us and connect mm. better with us. If you're trying to get something out of your boss, it might be a tactic. Um, I say controversial though, because those findings were found once and have never since been replicated. Um, so be careful. Um, and yeah, and another interesting one, if you're in a buying role or perhaps looking to reduce costs, um, maybe don't indulge in that second cup of coffee. Um, some research has found that um, people who drank just one cup of coffee before they went shopping spent 50% more than those that had decaf coffee or water. Um, and apparently the, the caffeine drinkers reported to being more excited um, and when we're more excited, we're more impulsive. So does caffeine make us more awake and alert? Yes, this is true. Does it help us function, particularly in work? Classic answer. It depends. It depends on your role and it depends on the task that you're doing. You bloody psychologist. <laughs> Why I order. Why I order. <laughs> so, but, but on the flip side, if you are going to be selling something to someone, go and get my shot of espresso. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. you've got a sales meeting. Give all of your clients espresso. <laughs> okay, what else you got, Liam? Um, so another story that popped into my into my news feed this week that I thought was interesting. A few episodes ago, we did our women's health episode. We talked a lot about gender gaps in terms of pay, in terms of health, in terms of safety. Do you remember the, the crash test dummies oh, yeah. that we talked about? Um, so we've had similar stories from the health sector during the pandemic about face masks not being not fitting uh, female health workers. This week, another example has been published in relation to protective bodywear of the UK police. So April 2023 is the first month in our very long history of having women in our police force where police armour has been designed to be lighter and more flexible to the female body. So until now, they have our, our female officers have been putting up with unisex armour um, which is, has been reported to be uncomfortable, inflexible, or in, even painful. And I think this is mainly around the curves of the body and the bosom area, um, mm. lots of pushing down. And, you know, ladies, we know that that is not a comfortable position. I'm literally holding my breath as I'm, <laughs> I'm explaining this. TMI. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, so they've, they've redesigned it, which is, which is kind of cool. There's an amazing, amazing woman called Belinda Goodwin, who is the wellbeing lead for the Police Federation, who's really been the driving force in this project. Um, and yeah, she said, you know, it's a game changer. It's not much more comfortable um, and you feel more protected. It means that, that um, officers will continue to wear their armour. Um, so they will be protected. I think that's the danger, isn't it? If something is uncomfortable, we tend to take it off um, and then we're not protected. So, um, so yeah, excellent. Excellent if, if overdue move from the UK police there. I just hope that they're still able to hook their thumbs into the corners of their uh, of their protective vests as they, as they look at you. Because I see that in all the police chase, but they, whenever they stop, they always hook their thumbs at the top. I'm doing it now myself. Anyway, so that's, that's a very strange little thing to add to that. An amazing piece of news. And I talk about hooking your thumbs into your, into your armour. Carry on, Leanne. What have you got, number three? <laughs> My number three. So we are talking about the four-day work week this week. Everything you need to know about what to do. Is it possible? What impact does it have? Um, and one of the impacts that I came across, um, which I thought was interesting, taken away slightly from the workplace, was the impact of the four-day work week on climate change. Um, so yeah, there's a growing interest in the four-day work week because of the impact it could have on employee productivity and well-being. Um, but also there is a lot of interest in the impact it could have on climate change. So as you're probably aware, there has been a global pilot at the moment testing the four-day work week. And as part of that, researchers have been tracking carbon emissions reductions. 
What they actually found was that the benefits of a four-day work week um, in terms of climate was actually the fall in commuting. Um, So the UK data showed that there was a 10% decrease over the entire pilot period of the four-day work week. So from three and a half hours um, to 3.15 hours. Um, and that was actually even bigger in the US. Um, so the, the, they're kind of estimating it could reach 15 to 20% um, reduction in commuting time, which of course is a massive drop in fuel emissions. What they also found was quite interesting is that those people who save time um, not commuting engaged in low carbon activities such as walking or stay-at-home hobbies um, or had more time to um, invest in pro-environmental behaviours like volunteering, recycling, buying eco-friendly products. Um, So it's really interesting from both an emissions perspective and behaviour perspective, the four-day work week could have a really big impact um, on protecting our planet. Who knew? Well, I'm pretty sure that guests knew because they're clever people. Talking of which, so we're going to introduce our guests now. So first of all, just the background of this. There's been lots of talk around the four-day work week recently. I'm sure you've seen it in the news. There's a few big companies have started doing it, including Basecamp, formerly 37 Signals. Uh, Panasonic have started doing it. And I think they might be Latvian, a company called Bolt, which recently, if I remember, they bought Mitsubishi Motors or something. It was a, it was, it was a very odd piece of news I saw there. Uh, but congratulations to those guys. Um, but we really want to just get to the bottom of this. Like, So uh, the, if you see any kind of post on LinkedIn about a four-day work week, you're going to see that usually they've got hundreds of comments and almost 50% of people saying this is brilliant, 50% of people saying it's never going to work. So we really want to ask here, what is the truth here? Where are the lies? Can companies really switch without losing money? Yeah, so we are asking all the questions that business leaders would want to know. First, can you really achieve the same in four days without adding huge pressure on employees? Number two, can any business implement it? What about if you charge by the hour? Number three, is this just another Gen Z thing? Um, And number four, do clients approve? What are our customers going to think about a four-day work week? So we thought, let's just find the truth behind all of this. Let's go to the horse's mouth. So who are we talking to today? We are joined today by Joe O'Connor. He was the CEO of Four Day Week Global, which in collaboration with research group Autonomy and researchers at Boston College and the University of Cambridge, undertook this global pilot on the four-day work week, the results of which came out in February of this year. So nearly 3,000 employees took part in the pilot from across 31 companies. And there was really basically one, one general rule. We're not just giving people one day a week back. We're reducing their working days to four days a week whilst paying them 100% of their pay. So at the end of this experiment, employees reported so many benefits. It really was a runaway success. And I think much more successful than the research initi- researchers initially anticipated. We saw benefits in terms of sleep, stress levels, personal lives, mental health. Um, and according to results published um, in February, companies' revenue stayed broadly the same during the six-month trial, but actually rose 35% on average when compared with a similar period from previous years. Why? Because resignations declined. Wow. Yeah, it really is amazing. Well, I'll actually leave a link to the, the full report because I could go through so many statistics um, in terms of of kind of all the benefits that 
that came through by going down to this kind of 32-hour model for the same pay and benefits. Um, yeah, there are increases in productivity, um, reductions in interest. Um, there is there was there are so many. It really is a compelling piece of research. So we have Joe with us today to talk us through some of those findings, some of the process, and how he helps organizations adjust to a four-day work week. Uh, But of course, we can't just take the researcher's word for it. We also have to bring in two business owners who have done it themselves. So of our three guests today, we've got one person who is an expert. That's Joe. You'll meet him in a second. Then we've got the second person who's actually done it and then is now helping other companies transition across to a four-day work week, and that is Banks. And then finally, we've got Ferry, who's actually just done it. And he's done it quite recently, last year. And he... Oh, wow. You should have seen the LinkedIn post that he put about it. That was, I think it, it said it's something like 5 million impressions he got on that. Um, I know. So uh, it's a hot topic. So let's go and meet our first guest. Joe O'Connor is the co-founder of the Work Time Reduction Center of Excellence. Um, if you Google the four-day work week, I guarantee most of the results that on page one will feature Joe. He tends to work with larger organizations to transition to the four-day work week and is currently working with about 170 leaders to implement these trials. So let's go meet Joe and find out why he's so passionate about this. I am originally from Ireland. Um, I first got interested in the four-day week and shorter working weeks more generally all the way back in 2018, back when really the four-day week, if we're being honest, was more of a philosophical discussion than a practical one. I was reading some research on trials that had been taking place in Ireland and Denmark and in New Zealand um, and really got interested in this initially based on some research we had done in Ireland uh, of public sector workers which suggested there was a huge amount of working parents that had moved to shorter work weeks or to reduced hour schedules for less pay. But often their experience was that their responsibilities in the job, their expectations and the output that they were producing was actually the same as it was when they were working five days. So this really inspired me to to get involved with this more. And I designed and developed the first ever pilot project of the four-day week in my home country in Ireland in early 2021. And then later, the CEO of Four Day Week. Our next guest is Banks Benitez. Excellent name. Banks <laughs> runs Smart Work Week, which helps leaders of small organizations successfully transition to a four day work week. He did this himself with his previous company, Uncharted, and that later got acquired. So we asked Banks why he's doubled down on the four-day work week. Yeah, so I was leading Uncharted, an entrepreneurial incubator accelerator based in the United States uh, for the last five or six years. In early 2020, we decided to consider piloting a four-day work week. Uh, We launched a pilot in 2020 over the summer, June, July, and August hired a third-party evaluator to measure the results of that pilot. Uh, The results came back when we're sort of unambiguously statistically positive. So we decided to keep it. And we rolled out the 40 work week uh, over the last three years. And our final guest is Ferry Cazzoni. Ferry grew up in Romania. And when he came to the UK, he founded a company called Search Intelligence, which is a digital PR link building agency. It's quite niche, but it's really interesting. So go and look at his website and see what he does. Now, last year, he transitioned to the four-day work week and he's seen some really quite incredible results. And what's interesting about Ferry is because he has grown up in a different country and come to the UK, he's got quite a different way of looking at the world. And reasons why he wanted to move to the four-day work week were perhaps a little different to to others. So let's go meet Ferry and hear his story. I run a company called Search Intelligence. We have 57 team members now. 
And we have built this company from two employees in 2020 to 57 employees now, we're like two, two years and something, because we have set up this crazy PR service that we help other SEO agencies and other, you know, SEO companies and departments of SEO um, and like SEO departments of companies. So I was, as a child, I grew up as a, and even as a teenager, as a very poor person who had, you know, in theory, had no chances of doing anything in life. We had no food to eat when I was a child and I was like completely at the bottom of the society, right? Grew up without a father and we didn't have, you know, food to eat. And I think the fact that I was like that kind of pushes me to just never wanting to be, you know, back at that place again or nobody in my you know family ever being there. Uh, therefore, I committed to excellence and and just doing, you know, going all in with everything I do. So I want to be, you know, um, the entity that builds, you know, that builds um, something great. And I'm, I'm just aiming for greatness uh, every day. So over the next hour, we are going to hear more from Joe, Banks and Ferry and hopefully answer all your questions about the four-day work week. So let's start with the biggest and most obvious question. Why even consider a four-day work week? Here's Joe. For the most part, and for the the overwhelming majority of participants, employees that took part in these trials were happier and they were healthier. Employers that took part in the trials found that they were better positioned to attract and to retain talent. But also the companies that took part found that they were actually more productive and more efficient. And that's the piece that often for people almost seems counterintuitive. How can you reduce the length of time that people are spending at work, but actually produce better business outcomes? And really what's fundamentally at the heart of that is that when we talk about the four-day week, we're not just talking about reducing the number of hours that people spend at work, but we're also talking about fundamentally changing the way that people work. I think if you look really hard at the businesses that took part in these trials and how they were able to make this a success, it was about using the four-day week as a forcing function to streamline their operations, to make their processes more efficient, and to change their work practices in a way that enabled them to deliver better outcomes. Now, I was curious about why Joe was quite so passionate about this, because you can see that over the last five years, he's done so much to kind of be, he's the main proponent, if you Google anything, as I said, um, about the four-day work week. So I kind of said, how did you get into this? What was your what was your motivation for really telling the world about a four-day work week? I, I think that survey that I mentioned back in Ireland, where, you know, this idea that Parkinson's law, a task will expand to fill the time that's available for its completion. I think is something that that fundamentally is true in, in most modern organizations. And I think that that played out in the sense that, you know, some of the most, I think lots of, of, of people listening to this podcast probably could point to someone in their organization where that holds true. And often it's working parents and often it's women where, you know, they've moved to reduce our work weeks. They are efficient, they're productive, they get their work done in the same way as they would do if they were there five days. But right now they're not compensated for that. I think that has a huge impact on gender equality in the workplace and actually is a huge driver of the gender pay gap. So when we talk about the shorter work week, I think that this is potentially transformative for businesses. It can give, you know, forward thinking leaders and companies a real, you know, head start on the competition. It can be so transformative and life changing for individuals in a whole host of different ways. More time with kids, family caring for elderly relatives, learning new skills, hobbies, pursuits, and endeavors. 
Ferry's reason for moving to a four-day work week is slightly different. I think different. I think, you know, I think completely different than, than somebody who just all the time, you know, worked in an office and they've never had any other, you know, uh, adventure outside the office. I think I've got this like wheeler dealer, you know, mentality, you know, where, where you know, you have to think creatively, you have to, um, you know, think outside the box. And I'm using that, you know, knowledge from you know, painting cars for 16 years to now running this agency and, you know, dis- hopefully disrupting the um, some of the markets that we kind of try to penetrate. And I think with Ferry, you, you can just see the entrepreneur in him just wants to do things differently. He looks at, he looks at things and goes, why, why is it not like this? Can we make it like this? And it's, I think that, you know, those classic early adopter sort of mentality of someone who is excited about new things, therefore he starts his agency, therefore he starts a new life in a different country. He's excited about new things and therefore he looked at this and went, yeah, why not? Let's give it a go. Yeah. And I think as well, it, it's, it's it's amazing that there aren't more entrepreneurs jumping onto this, especially when we think about kind of where the 40-hour work week comes from, this five-day work week comes from. You know, it's from, it was set in the, you know, after the Industrial Revolution when factory workers didn't have any limits to their hours. Um, so yeah, it was labor union rights in America that fought to instill the 40-hour work week. And that came into place in 1938. Wow. Yeah, the world has changed. So we need people like Ferry who are going to go, uh, guys, are we a bit behind on this? Absolutely. So I asked Banks, you know, what what has kicked off this four-day work revolution? Because it's something which we've only started to hit. Well, I've only started seeing about in the last sort of 18 months. You as a psychologist might have seen studies on it um, earlier than that. I'm not really. I, I read about it. I heard about it as an idea um, back in, I think it was 2018, 2019. Um, and I knew that this pilot was happening, but the results for this pilot only came out in February of this year. So it's still all very new. So as we're going to hear, Banks was quite an early adopter with this. As the CEO, it was something that I had just been looking into. The team did not come to me with it. And at the time, there was just very little press, to be honest, back in 2019 about the four-day work week. There were a couple of examples and case studies, but it was not, it was under the radar as, a, as an idea. We'd always been sort of a high trust organization, um, a very flexible organization for our employees. And our team decided, yeah, let's let's give it, our executive team decided, yes, let's give it a shot. And then, of course, COVID happened. I think our rest of our team was surprised that we were rolling out a four-day work week when we decided to. And then they got bought into it. And we spent a lot of time as a collective, larger team exploring ways to optimize our work week. It really was a team effort um, to make it happen. I know there are so many people that are probably sick of hearing about the pandemic, but it really was such a force in terms of accelerating all of these trends that were kind of, or not even trends, I guess, ideas, and now accelerating them into into more of a trend. And I think as well, just, you know, that that whole fragility of life and and how we want to reimagine work, it's, um, it makes sense to me that this is, you know, the pandemic has really turbocharged this, as Joe explained. I think the pandemic really turbocharged the shorter work week movement. Leaders were more interested because of, you know, the great resignation and the impact on the labour market. Managers were more open to this for the reasons that I just described. And then employees, I think, have demanded this much more because their experience during the pandemic really caused a lot of people to realign their priorities. And it caused a lot of people to kind of realign what is a reasonable balance between life and work. We already had the productive capacity and the technological tools at our disposal to work shorter and to work smarter. But it took something like the pandemic to really dislodge the, the very deeply embedded cultural and societal norms we have around the work week 
which is understandable because it's been around now for more than a century. So like the second part of all of this is, is if you're going to be spending 20% less time at work, it means you've got obviously got 20% less time to do the work. So what do you do? Do you just not do some of it? How do you free up this time? Well, the majority of research shows that if you eliminate low-value activities, then this can work. And Joe totally agrees with this. Was in, you know, improving processes, uh, eliminating low-value activities, or at least minimizing low-value activities, and making better, more mindful use of technology. So this is some of the things that we saw organizations really attack in order to be able to, um, you know, so... What we're talking about here is not about doing the same work in the same way, because often that's a fear of employees. You know, if we're expected to deliver the same results in less time, then surely, you know, will it mean that our work is harder, it's faster, it's more intense? But when you look at the research, actually, it found that these organizations were able to achieve this not through organizational speed up, but through organizational redesign, which effectively meant they were delivering the same output, but with fewer or more efficient inputs. Banks agrees with this and also mentions that it all comes down to prioritizing. One, in my experience, is that the teams that are best able to move to a four-day work week are ones that are getting better at the muscle, like sort of truly a muscle of prioritizing and deprioritizing. So it's not about necessarily getting faster and more productive. It's about really getting clearer about what's a priority for your company and what's not. I think all of us agree that not all hours in the work week are created equal. Some are less of a productive use of time. Some of them are just not essential whatsoever. Maybe we're in meetings that we think are a waste of time. That could mean canceling standing meetings. It could be recognizing that a project is actually not worth continuing. And the four-day work week for me personally was, was really helpful because it helped me ask this question of what's truly essential? What really drives the key business outcomes that we're after? And then are there things that we can deprioritize? The teams that really thrive and succeed are actually reframing what's important and what's not. And that allows them to actually cut out things that they were currently in their work week. I think that the first step is absolutely around operations, isn't it? And streamlining things and making things easier and less sticky and... I think, you know, it was Joe that said that it kind of puts the pressure on organizations to actually prioritize the streamlining of operations and making things more efficient. And, and you know, as Banks says there as well, you know, not all hours in the working week are made equal. And I think that's a case of, yeah, how we how we structure work, what we expect our uh, how our, our workers spend their time. But also, I think, understanding a bit the psychology around it. So there's, there's, a, there's a state called flow, and that's when we're in full immersion of an, an activity that's when you know when you kind of you're doing something and you look up and you're like how is it four o'clock mm. you'd like time loses all meaning that's being in a state of flow and getting into that state requires a few things but the main thing that it, it absolutely requires is no interruptions and I think this is as well where um you know, we, we talk about remote work and actually if we, that deep thinking work needs that more more solitary time. And the reason it's important is when we get into that state of flow, research has shown that people are 500% more productive. Like it's an insane amount how much more p- productive people are when they can enter the state. So when you look about kind of, you know, what organizations, how they, you know, the things they have now, what long, long meetings or meetings, how many meetings a day? 
hundreds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unplanned interruptions, just somebody in the office or, or even on on Slack dinging you and asking you if, you know, you can do something, asking a question. Um, I think there's also this kind of thing around email. I think it's something ridiculous, like like up to six hours a day can be spent on email. Mm. Something like on average, people check their phones like 2,000 times a day. There's so many of these distractions that actually if we think about streamlining our operations around us, streamlining the tasks that we're doing and streamlining the demand on our attention, then actually it's going to be pretty easy to free up 20% of our working week. I think what Leanne's saying is absolutely right. There's such easy ways to reduce the amount of, let's face it, bullshit you deal with in in, in, in an average day or week. However, there's other stuff as well. And this is going to be, listen up if you sell, because Ferry's about to tell us an example of when someone came in and basically was about to waste their time and Ferry told them not to. Yesterday, I had a meeting here with, you know, an IT um, service provider. We, We are, you know, enhancing our security and everything. Um, and they came to my office and they said, Look, I'm going to put together like a PowerPoint presentation uh, in like 48 hours. I said, like, I don't need that. Just tell me how much it is, you know. And then there is three bullet points. <laughs> I just wrote it down when they told me, I said, okay, well, you know, send me like an email with these, you know, three bullet points. And happy days, don't spend like 48 hours on, you know, on a PowerPoint presentation showing your, you know, logo and everything because nobody cares. And they they probably saved, you know, probably a few hundred pounds by just me saying this to them. I love this. There's mm-hmm. a there's a, there's a great, um, a, a guy called Mike Killen, um, who always says, don't send proposals. Just get them to agree what you want them to look, what you want the project to look like while you're on the sales call with them. And just go, so I'll just send you a quick email with these, what we've agreed. Yeah, okay, yeah, fine. Send me a check, done. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. And even if, you know, even if you're like, no, it's a big part of our brand doing this. It's like, well, is the right person doing it? Mm. Like I used to drive me nuts when I, when I was a, a, um, in welfare to work as a coach, that I'd have so much paperwork to do and admin that I'd have to do, I'd do it after work because I didn't mm. want to lose time during the day that I could be spending and should be spending with my customers and the people I'm trying to support filling out paperwork you know it's it's more if you want to do that activity great but even just looking at who who am i paying right now to develop this powerpoint presentation if you are paying a marketing consultant who you bill out at you know 250 pounds an hour when you could be bringing in an intern or a great administrator um you know, you divert that value at a time back. So then you're going to be generating more revenue. So you could go down to a four-day work week. Now, what's interesting is that we always use this term four-day work week, but Joe seems to think that it doesn't have to be full like 20% reduction. It can basically be whatever you want it to be. Time reduction doesn't necessarily need to be a full 20% reduction, although that's kind of the, the gold standard that lots of companies have gone for. It can be, you know, more more staggered or incremental. Same pay but a commitment to delivering the same output. And often this materializes in businesses whereby we're not talking about necessarily changing contracts. Some companies will kind of do this as a just a, an opt-in policy for the trial. They might then later regularize contracts if they make it permanent. And it's that positive tension within the organization that really can create some, some quite extraordinary results. I think there is a danger that we're just going to anchor to this idea as business leaders and go, well, if that's what we need to strive for, that's what we need to do. And that's what I'm going to have to bend my business into, into being. And I think, again, it's the point. In, and this is where I get a bit nuts 
as a psychologist is that people are quick to grab onto the intervention. And what we need to do to improve well-being is implement a four-day work week. What we need to, to do to have more fun in work is put a ping pong table in the break room. <laughs> where the point is, it's about reducing our amount of time at work so we increase our recovery time off of work, which then means that psychologically, mentally, we're stronger, more engaged with our work and have that, that more energy to focus. The reason we have ping pong tables at the break room is because we know that by encouraging people to take breaks they're more productive because they don't run out of steam. They get a chance to recharge. So we're not saying that implementing a four-day work week is going to be the, you know, the silver bullet that that solves all workplace culture challenges and all mental health challenges with our employees. It doesn't. The point is, is about reducing our time at work, increasing our focus time at work and increasing our recovery time at work. There's loads of different ways of doing this. There is an a, um, experiment I was reading about that's happened in Australia recently and they are trialing the six hour work day Hmm. so five days a week but only six hours at work so the business leader behind this said that the shorter work day forced his team to prioritize effectively which is what we've heard from our experts as well Um, limit interruptions which we know is important because it then gives people the time to invest in in more deep thinking work and getting to this state of of flow. Um, but you also said that it found that, that people operated at a much more deliberate level for the first few hours of the day. And I think it's coming back to what Banks was saying about prioritizing. And what they found is that the team maintained and in some cases increased its quantity and quality of work, with some people also reporting an improved mental state, more rest time, more family time, more time for friends and other endeavours as well. So I think it goes to show that it's not about being as rigid as like, oh, well, the the four-day work week is a thing to aim for. It's even just thinking about what is it the four-day work we're trying to achieve. It's trying to reduce number of hours at work, increase focused hours at work and increase recovery time. I think if a business leader, if you look at your business with those three kind of objectives in mind, then it might not be a four-day work week. Another thing I've heard is is kind of a, a nine-day fortnight. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think there's lots of different ways you can do it. But remember what the, the, the reasons behind the four-day work week, that's why we're seeing such cool results. Not because it's four days in the office, because of the, the intention and what it means for us in terms of our work life and our home life. Could not agree more. That is, yes, absolutely. And you know what's funny is one of the biggest pushbacks for the for why you couldn't do or why this person couldn't do the four-day work week is they go, my business is different. It wouldn't work like that. Unfortunately, you know what business was different, Al? What? Blockbuster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not sure um, anyone younger, younger than 30 will know who we're talking about. Um, but I think the point the point is that it's a different, they go, my, but my business is different and us business owners, we're very protective about things. We go, oh no, my business is a very different business. Isn't isn't different really? If you've got people working for you, then Leanne's the kind of person you to speak to because she knows exactly how they work, like literally how they tick and how they work. Um, so one of the biggest things... Oh, there's some marketing thing in that. What? How you, how you work some double, is it a double entendre? Is that what it's called? I don't know. I think double entendre is when you make it a bit rude. Oh. Maybe it's so, uh, but we'll, we will... We'll do we- some research. <laughs> We'll put that in our planning meeting Let's tomorrow Let's put a morning. pin in that. We'll circle back to it later. <laughs> oh, God. We'll whiteboard it tomorrow. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, just had to throw up. Anyway, so the biggest pushback is it won't work for my business. But Joe points out that that might be right. Because for some business models, it can be hard to do this kind of thing. So I would never argue that every role or every profession today that 
doesn't work a five-day nine-to-five, that all of a sudden we're going to find a way that they're going to start working a four-day nine-to-five. This idea that, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all model, really at the heart of that is, is the understanding that what we're really talking about here is moving from the five-day nine-to-five to the four-day being the new normal, effectively, being the new standard arrangement across the economy. Of course, underneath that, there will need to be different kinds of flexible arrangements to, to accommodate different kinds of work, people that already work abnormal um, shift patterns, people that you know don't want to work, a kind of a regular structured five-day work week. Um, but I would argue that there aren't very many job roles or businesses or industries that currently work five-day, nine-to-five that couldn't find a way um, with the right imagination, with the right culture, and with the right processes to move to a four-day working week. But if you've got a customer-facing role or a team where you know a big part of their value is about being available, being responsive to customers across five days, sometimes even six or seven days, then this is a different thing. The other thing that Banks points out is that it's not going to work if the leaders aren't 100% on board. The biggest thing I see and say you're not ready for is if the senior leadership team is not fully bought in. And maybe you have an HR manager who's interested, but the CEO is not fully bought in. Then I say, hey, that really is critical because you need to have the leadership walk the talk early on. It definitely is not for everybody. And there are certain business models that lend themselves better to four-day work weeks than others, right? So if you're billing by the hour as a lawyer or something, it's harder because the unit of time is connected to the economic value that you generate for your company. I think Banks makes this excellent point. He says, if you are billing hourly, then if you just go to a four-day work week, you're knocking 20% off your revenue. Yeah, I think it is a really good point. And I think it is thinking about your, your business model. But again, I think it's thinking about... Does my, can my business model change to accommodate this? And I mean, you know, law is a difficult thing because anything, you know, building by the hour at that level, we're talking a significant amount of money. But I think it's even as simple as, you know, you charge for an outcome. You charge a, a price for a product uh, you, and you do that same in terms of a of a project. Um, similarly, you know, you performance manage people, not by the number of hours they work, but the work they're producing, the quality of it, you know, the objectives, their delivery, their performance targets. I think if we think more, a bit more about outcome rather than process, then I think it it, it, it might help us reimagine our, our business models in a way that will facilitate a four-day work week. Yeah, Joe totally agrees. So it is a challenge and it does mean that if you're a law firm or a marketing agency or an accounting practice that builds by the hour, that is an additional complication that you need to deal with in order to make this work. But you can make it work. And businesses in those sectors who, you know, build by the hour have made it work. And the way that they've done it, um, for the most part, is either, number one, they have found enough efficiencies in their non-billable time or in their non-billable overheads that they've been able to maintain the level of billable hours and the level of client time that they have at in and around the same level or they have changed the way they bill. So they've either partly or wholly moved to fixed fee, value-based or project-based billing, and which has obviously meant that they're effectively decoupling the direct relationship between time and, and revenue. And often the solution might lie somewhere in between. We've seen uh, law firms, we've seen marketing agencies who have achieved this through some combination of those two things. Now, Ferry is in an industry um, like I'm just going to say marketing agents because I know it's not exactly what Ferry does, but marketing agencies where traditionally you do kind of, kind of 
pay per hour or there's a there's a bundle of hours that you sold. So his business model is not selling by the hour deliberately. But he's also still found that by eliminating certain things, you can easily find the extra 20% of time. You would have to revolutionize your operations. So maybe, maybe if you sell less time with a 40 work week, then you might have to eliminate some other processes where the time is being spent that's not paid, that's unpaid. So if you're selling time, then you can still do it, but you have to reduce the the amount of work that people are doing on tasks that are unpaid. Like, you know, having a process where you create a PowerPoint presentation for this client, you know, that takes one day every week so that you can provide a report. You probably don't need that. You just send them a list of, you know, things that you've done in like a few bullet points and happy days. Instead of spending five hours unpaid time, right? That's not, they're not paying you for the PowerPoint, they're paying you for the results. Just scrap that PowerPoint. Nobody cares about your dogs and your cats in the office. You know, they care about, you know, these five bullet points and nothing else. Quick announcement for all listeners. Yeah, I've got a I've got a new toy on my on my little deck thing so I can make my voice change. Anyway, sorry. I Leanne. love it. Do it again. Hello, Leanne. Whoa! Do another one. Hello. <laughs> but we didn't interrupt your podcast listening for uh, for this. We actually interrupted it to tell you about one of our new favorite podcasts. It's called Success Story. It is hosted by Scott D. Clary, and it is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Success Story features question and answer sessions and conversations on sales, marketing, business, startups, and entrepreneurship. Oh, and if you like this podcast, then I think you'll love Scott's episode in back in December, where the infamous Seth Godin talks about empowering employees. So go listen to Success Stories wherever you get your podcasts. One of the things that doesn't seem to be talked about is how this improves the employer brand. We asked Joe what other knock-on effects this four-day work week could have. One business that I worked with in the U.S., HealthWise, they're a nonprofit that that do healthcare information services. About 250 people, based in Boise, Idaho, came to us in October 2021. Had a huge issue with employee turnover, and you know we're losing a lot of a lot of key staff. They introduced the four-day week effectively in response to that. Um, late summer that year, and their employee attrition has reduced to effectively zero. On the other hand, when you look at recruitment, you take companies like Atom Bank, Tyler Grange in the United Kingdom. Both of those businesses have reported an increase in applications for open job postings of more than 60%. So what I would say is when it comes to productivity, that's the piece that it's not guaranteed. It's not like you reduce your employees' hours and all of a sudden, magically, you have a 20% improvement in efficiency and productivity. It's all about the process and it's all about the way that you implement this. But the one area that, at least right now, is almost a guarantee is that I haven't yet discovered a business that's moved to a shorter work week that hasn't seen a very significant benefit when it comes to talent attraction and retention in a tight labor market where things like flexible work, offering remote, hybrid working, these are things that many businesses relied upon to give themselves a competitive edge three, four, five years ago. Now those things are often the standard expectation within industries. They're turning to the shorter work week as the new thing that can really give them an edge. Banks has also seen a huge improvement in retention and recruitment. 
the biggest driver I see for teams that are thinking about uh, the four-day work week um, beyond just sort of organizational optimizations and getting smarter as a team around how you do your work is around recruiting and retention. How do you recruit top talent and, and how do you retain that talent? Especially for small businesses, I say, you know, you might not be in the top 1% of compensation against big tech companies and high paying competitors, but you can be in the top 1% of work weeks. And that's a tool and advantage around recruiting and retention of talent. Seems to make sense to me. What we know about what people want from from work nowadays, I am not surprised that that companies that have a four-day work week are holding on to their people and attracting talent. Um, so I guess my question is, what what were the surprises? That one seems seems, you know, fairly straightforward. But were there any surprises when implementing the four-day work week? We asked banks. There were so many things that we were we were surprised about. The number one fear I had was what would our external partners, investors, and clients think? And we were really thoughtful about how we communicated with them. And when I advise teams, that's the number one concern I get is, what are people going to think on the outside? How will they respond to this? I think viscerally, all of us recognize that we don't necessarily, we're not at our peak performance for 40 continuous hours over the course of a work week. Again, not all hours are created equal. And so I think there's a visceral sense of, yeah, I probably could get my job done in less time. And so... The big surprise, I think, is that people recognize, wow, it's the external reception was more welcome than I had originally feared. The other thing that has been a surprise for me is that the four-day moving from a five-day to a four-day work week is in some ways easier than moving from a full in-person team to a fully remote team, going from fully in-person to fully remote, which, of course, many teams had to do during COVID, is actually, a, in some ways, a much harder transition that actually, I think, has bigger implications on business outcomes than moving from five days to four days. Barry also had a couple of surprises around productivity and communication. Problems of productivity in the first, you know, probably first one or two weeks. We didn't know how to measure what people were doing. We have just quit um, tracking time. So we don't track any time of our employees. So we have just quit doing that. And then we didn't know how to you know, quantify the work that people do also communication, what happens if a client messages on Fridays? And and then sometimes we had a we had a message on Thursday afternoon by a client. And they also messaged us on Friday afternoon being like frustrated, like I messaged yesterday and this is quite urgent and why are you not replying? And then that, that was one of the problems. Our process for that is every time a client joins, we make them uh, aware of the fact after 4 p.m. on Thursday, you will not hear from us until Monday and you have to deal with it. <laughs> then that was one of the you know big leaps that we have done by just having the courage to you know talk to clients and tell them, you know, this is how it is. Joe also found that it had an impact on well-being. So one of the things that was actually observed within uh, the, the trials was the, the amount of sleep that everyone in, in participating was getting each night. Um, and it turned out that sleep deprivation reduced. So sleep deprivation as defined by getting seven hours or less. Uh, that went from 50% to 17% amongst trial participants. So people were sleeping on average about an hour extra per night, which is an interesting finding in and of itself. But I would also suggest that it's quite possible that you know the improvements in that indicator might also have given rise to other improvements elsewhere around general well-being, people being better refreshed and more energized at work, and that in turn having a positive impact on their productivity. 
So talking of productivity, we asked banks about what the actual, what do you actually need to do um, to, in, to ensure that you maintain the productivity, but then squeeze your week down to four days. He seemed to think there's actually easier to do this than moving from sort of fully office to hybrid. But from a cultural, organizational perspective, moving from fully in-person to fully remote, that's a major shift. And I, I think that that's something that um, many of us have done, certainly imperfectly in, in my case, and I think in others' cases as well. But the five-day to four-day shift is in some ways um, less transformational from a sort of how your business operates, how your team organizes, how your team collaborates. Uh, all those pieces, of course, are mediated through screens, through fully remote. There's a lot of dynamics to to that. And so I think this in some ways was was easier than that. I wonder as well how many business leaders actually measure productivity or what metrics they use to measure productivity beyond how long people are are in the office or how much they're billing. You know, maybe a four-day work week will prompt us to measure productivity properly for the first time. So if people are trialing a shorter work week effectively because they're being watched, is that the reason for the kind of efficiency and productivity gains? And therefore, once the trial period is over, you start to see some drop off and you're not able to sustain that. And, you know, my answer to that would be twofold. First of all, if your business is only properly starting to measure productivity when you're running a four-day week trial, then that's a problem that you need to look at and address. That would be the first thing. The second thing is, that's why the shorter work week, when we implement it with organizations, this is not like you know your entitlement to statutory sick leave or statutory holidays. This is something which is conditional. This is, is conditional on meeting certain objectives, targets, business objectives, and goals. And therefore, it needs to feel to people like, this is not a kind of a one-off change. This is not a policy. This is an ongoing commitment to continuous improvement. Number one, having in place a really quality, strong um, framework for measuring performance. And, um, you know, because for lots of, of managers, when, you know, they didn't have the day-to-day monitoring of presenteeism, which often for a lot of, you know, more tr- managers of more traditional mindsets was kind of the go-to, you know, COVID kind of forced a, a step change on that. And I think for that reason, often companies who have already done that and who then move to shorter work weeks find to, to some extent they've already done the hard part, you know, and that it doesn't feel like a radical step. It actually feels like a logical um, transition because they've already figured out, you know, how to measure output in a really quality, consistent way. A couple of things there I think our experts pointed out beautifully One, we have already gone through one of the most disruptive transformations and changes and shifts in how we work and how we operate our business by going to to fully remote and then hybrid. And yet we haven't all done that perfectly. Um, But equally, you know, there there has been steps that have been made and businesses have made it work or invested to make it work or rethought how they work to make it work. And I think it's the same with the the four-day work week. And the other thing as well, I think that Joe said, is, you know, you could trial this on the on the condition as long as you know how to measure performance and productivity, that if we don't hit these targets, guys, we're going to have to go back to a five days. I know that I'd be freaking motivated to, you know, to figure out how to prioritize and make myself more more productive and and, and hit my performance targets if, if that was the, the incentive that I had. I think that was the biggest surprise to me was that after speaking to Banks um, and Joe, um, they were saying that this 
this isn't like we're now going to be four days. Most companies trial it. And so Banks explained why this is really important. You know, there's always this tension in, in workplaces of once you provide a benefit, it's always hard to roll it back at the end of it. When we announced the pilot, uh, we were very clear that the burden of proof was on the pilot to prove us wrong and that we were going to return to a five-day work week unless the data was so convincing and clear. And so I think that the messaging from leadership is really important um, as they think about trying a time-bound experiment of a shorter work week so that the team recognizes that the default will be to return to five-day work weeks. I love that. What a brilliant approach in, in terms of messaging. And again, that transparency, proving again for his banks, the transparency behind leadership decisions uh, is so important. Joe also points out that, yeah, of course, it can be reversed if it doesn't work. I've seen organizations reverse it temporarily. I've seen organizations trial it and it hasn't worked. I've seen organizations commit to it and even announce it and then get cold feet and not go ahead with the trial. The first number of weeks, and in some cases, the first number of months, it felt almost like moving to a different country. I think a lot of that came down to, you know, not having had that kind of planning and preparation phase done right. Um, and I think that that's a really important thing that the companies need to need to think about. You know, nobody is saying that this is easy. You know, like I am not arguing that moving to a four-day week is really straightforward. It's a very significant change that requires a very significant commitment to operational excellence. But if you can find a way to pull it off like many others before you have done, then the benefits of this for your business and your people are real and they're significant. By now, you've probably heard Ferry and you've probably guessed what Ferry did. He just did it. So everything we do at the company, we want to be not just like the average, you know, and just being part of the, of the, of the, like, of the sheep, right? We want to do, we want to stand out and we want not just to stand out, but stand out in a good way. And I've committed to paying our employees the best for their skills in the industry. Um, and then also providing them like by far the best workplace they can ever have. Therefore, the four-day work week was one of the things that seemed extreme back in May 2022. 20, uh, and we said, we're not even going to test test it and see if it works or not. We will just do it. And then if it doesn't work, we'll adapt and we'll find ways to make it work. Therefore, we invested into new systems, new processes. We had to revamp how we work. Um, and it worked. It, it just worked. And if it didn't work, then we found a way to, you know, resolve the problems that uh, have come up as, you know, as we were progressing with this initiative. Um, so I just wanted to be, you know, the best employer uh, in this industry and, well, Introducing the four-day work is part of this. So two different perspectives there. Joe is saying, you know, you can put it as a pilot and the, the pilot is really there to prove us right. A four-day work week won't work. Ferry is taking a very different approach and going, we'll just do it. We'll just do it. We'll make it work. Um, <laughs> two very different extremes. And of course, you know, however you choose to roll it out, there is, a, there is a concern. Will it work or will it not? How much pain are we going to have to go through in rolling this out? And Banks also had concerns when he did it back in 2019. So many concerns, like hundreds of concerns about it. You know, I think that it was not one of those things that you go into it saying, oh, we're not worried about it at all. I mean, as a CEO, I was worried about what would our major funders and investors think? What would our clients and partners think? How would it affect revenue? 
Will we get less work done? Will we be considered less seriously? Do we actually, as a team, can we prioritize more important work and deprioritize work that's not essential? How do we get this distributed across the entire organ? I mean, there were so many questions that we had. And now when I'm coaching teams, it is not like this is a panacea um, and you suddenly move to a 40 work week and all of your problems are solved. When, I, when I'm advising leaders about this, I say, if you think of it that way, then you should not be piloting a four-day work week whatsoever. The best way to think about it is that the four-day work week is a diagnostic tool that will surface the challenges, problems, inefficiencies in your business. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. It's going to tell you, oh, these things are not working, or your team is spread too thin, or whatever those, whatever those things that are holding your organization back. Um, and so in some ways it is a good way to surface and reveal things that are not working so that you can address them. And for me as a CEO, and I think a lot of CEOs are like this, they would rather know what's not working so that they actually have visibility into it and can begin to address it as opposed to, um, you know, not knowing any of these things. Bank has also just perfectly summed up the, um, the argument for doing employee engagement and getting employee insights. You need to mm. know about these challenges to address them. And I think, again, just showing Banks' commitment to, to workplace culture and, and what it takes to, to really invest in creating an environment where people can thrive. I think there might be a danger, as we kind of mentioned before, that, you know, we're going to get too stuck on this idea of it being a four-day work week. And, you know, once we've got our four days, that's it, we're done. That's all the flexibility we need. Um, so be it. But of course, you know, it's not going to be the silver bullet um, because we're still going to have people like parents that need more flexibility. Maybe we have people that enjoy working five days a week. We asked Joe, what are his thoughts? You know, I think that this comes to another misconception that we find about the four-day week, which is we're not talking about something that is really rigid, where once you move to a four-day week, you eliminate all flexibility. Sometimes you need to show a degree of flexibility, the odd weekend, the odd evening, and to be able to accommodate that. The same is true for a four-day work week. What we're talking about is moving the needle on the standard expectation, but acknowledging that there might well be times um, that you need to, uh, to, to be flexible with that. Um, one business that 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 we've uh, worked with in Australia, Inventium, have moved to a four-day week structure, but they call it effectively the gift of the fit. Three out of every four weeks, people get that day fully off. And then maybe one in every four, they might have to do an hour. They might have to do two hours to make sure they keep on top of everything. And employees are, understandably, quite happy with that arrangement. Yeah, well said. I think it's, you know, we have a five-day work week, but a lot of us will still work a couple of hours in the evenings or a day at the weekend mm -hmm. if we want to catch up on something or spend more time on something. It'll be the same with a four-day work week. I love what Joe said there. It's creating a new standard mm -hmm. and then building flexibility and expectations around that. Another concern that I sometimes get from business leaders when we're looking into workplace culture and the different interventions that we can do is, is it just a fad? Is this just the latest sexy thing that the, you know, the younger workers in our workforce, the Gen Z, the younger millennials are jumping onto? How do I know that this is, isn't just a, a Gen Z thing? We asked Joe. I think there's probably some degree of a generational divide, but I wouldn't say that that is you know, the big differentiator. Actually, it's much more about openness to innovation. Um, and even if you look you know, across the different industries, I think those businesses that kind of were ahead of the game when it came to, you know, really embracing remote working, asynchronous communications, things like that. 
tend to be the same kinds of businesses that are more likely to see themselves as, you know, a pioneer within their industry or someone that's going to take the lead on testing something like a shorter working week. So I do see in the comment sections of a lot of these, people have got lots of concerns about it. And quite rightly too, it's a new thing. So I asked Banks, in his experience of helping companies transition to a four-day work week, um, what kind of questions do people have? Many companies have been able to do this without a loss in revenue, without a loss in all the big fears. Like, oh, actually, it's possible. And then the question that I get all the time was, well, how do we do it here? And that's really been the focus of, of the course and of the coaching that I do is saying, you know, we can try to sell you on the four-day work week. Um, but if you're at sort of not convinced about it, we're probably unlikely to sell you on it. We're looking for people that are saying, we've heard about this. It looks interesting. I have concerns about my business. It's it's fundamentally different and unique than all the other ones that have tried it. You know, you don't understand why why ours it might not work, and and how does it actually roll out, and what are the, what's the sequence of steps, and you know, how should we think about bank holidays, and what do we think about these HR policies, and you know, when, when do you when do you sequence certain things? All those things are sort of the big questions that that come up, and so the the a lot of the questions that I get are very tactical, operational questions. Um, around it, then I think we get into a bunch of operational things, which is where I spend most of, most of my time is on that stuff. Although those bigger questions, of course, are interesting to me too. So yeah, I think, you know, the, most of the questions I get are around sort of operationalizing. One of the biggest fears I think is what happens if you lose clients? What happens if people don't like it? What happens if revenue goes down? So I asked Ferry, did you see a reduction in clients? No, no, no. In fact, we have just been winning more and more more clients. So I don't think that makes any, it makes any difference, you know, even the fact that we don't do meetings with clients. So we tell the clients, you know, we have four-day work week, we're not going to spend time in meetings with you. And that it doesn't put off anyone. People understand, you know, but I think if you provide a, a good service, like a good result for your clients, in our case, you know, getting them the links that we promised, then you know, all of these things and they understand and they they can deal with the fact that we're not going to have weekly meetings with five team members in it talking about the last week's, you know, five links that we landed. We just send them a spreadsheet. Here's the links. Um, have a nice weekend, right? And that's how sim- we simplify everything. They don't want meetings either. They just don't know it. <laughs> I remember listening to um, a podcast uh, with a, a woman who was a consultant and talking about how she charges for her time. And the thing that she said is that I will never charge anyone for a question over email. I'll manage expectations around kind of the time scale around my, when, when I reply, but I'll never charge anyone for it. If a client wants a, a, a meeting, like a virtual or a conversation, even telephone meeting, I will charge by the 15 minutes slot. I said, it's amazing how many people suddenly realize that that question can be answered in an email, not a telephone call. And now there's something called AutoGPT, where you can set up ChatGPT instances as like a virtual assistant. So you've got all that, you've got automation, you've got all kinds of stuff. So I asked Joe, do you think that AI and automation is going to have a massive impact on this? I think that, that automation and AI and the impact of that on business is here to stay. And I think we're going to see, you know, an increasing impact on job roles, professions, businesses, industries over the coming decade. And actually, I think that's part of the macro argument for a shorter working week. You know, back when John Maynard Keynes was predicting we'd all be working 15 hours a week by the end of the last century, 
Even the, the U.S. Republican President Richard Nixon foresaw the four-day week coming down the tracks back in the 60s. But so I think that there is a very strong argument that as we head into this fourth industrial revolution of digitalization, AI, automation, robotics, that the four-day week is actually a way that we can tangibly share the benefits of productivity advancement and technological advancement with workers in a way that, if we're being honest, we didn't really do with the last 20 or 30 years worth of progress. What a statement, eh? How do we tangibly share the benefits of productivity advancement with our workers? He's got got away with words, Joe, hasn't he? It's just so right, though, isn't it? We're not talking about making less money or or we're just squeezing, continue to squeeze people until the point of that they break. Um, yeah, Joe, you are you are my new favourite person. Um, <laughs> I knew you'd like. <laughs> but you know, of course, this isn't. I think the other misconception as well with the four day work week, and maybe why leaders panic is going, "Oh my god, we need to do everything we do now and fit it into four days." Mm-hmm. Like the the four day work week isn't just a, a compression of your week, as our our experts have explained, this is a fundamental transformation of how you work, your business model, how you engage with clients. Um, it's, it's a huge change. And Ferry agrees that it is absolutely vital you understand what this actually is. And for what I suggest others do as well, um, if they want to do four-day work week, it means we actually cut one day from the work. And it doesn't mean we just took those hours and compressed them into the other four four days, right? It means it's really four-day work week. It's not like five days work week compressed into four days, right? And it's also about being a decent leader. I think the most important thing is just to be kind with people because as a manager or even as, as a CEO, you might think that now people are going to take advantage, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, some some might take advantage, but most of the people will actually, you know, love the initiative and and you know they will be they will be good humans when when you provide this to them. Like it's always, you know, starting from kindness, just be kind and understanding um with people and and just yeah, just don't micromanage them either. You need less micromanagement because if you give them an extra Friday every week where they can go and take yoga classes or they can go and spend more time, you know, with their kids um, or they can, you know, go to the gym and have a better, better life outside work. Everyone, everyone will be very grateful. I find that objection in general quite frustrating from leaders that some people will take advantage. Mm. It'd be a four-day work week, whether it be working from home, being fully remote, whether it be people working remotely but in a different country for a couple of weeks. Oh, people take advantage. They'll be on they'll be on the beach with a pina colada. Well, you, you not just trust you do not trust your people, and if you don't trust your people, how do you effectively manage them and lead them and? create this sense of camaraderie and vision and passion that is needed. If you don't trust people, what relationship do you possibly have with them that is productive and and long-term? You know, there's no mistake that when trust is lost from a marriage or a relationship, it deteriorates and breaks. Like if you don't have trust, that relationship is going to deteriorate and break. And that's what we see with all the research around well-being and engagement. If people don't feel trusted in their work to, to do their job well, then they disengage. 
And that's the real problem that you want to be worrying about because when people disengage, they're much less productive. When people disengage actively, they'll be actually trying to sabotage what's what's happening in your organization and what you're trying to do. And then they're going to leave, which costs you thousands and thousands of pounds in recruitment and training again. And secondly, if you don't trust people, why the hell are you bringing them into your business? Mm. One of our our, our experts, I think it was last week, actually, I can't, maybe it was... Maybe it was Bonnie who made a really beautiful point. She was like, at some point, you this person has been chosen. Mm-hmm. This is the chosen one that I am bringing into my business. If you don't trust them at that point in recruitment, or you've not even got something within your recruitment process to understand, help you understand if this person is trustworthy, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's just, it's just the stupidest excuse. Oh, people will take advantage. Mm-hmm. Ugh, you just told me everything you need to tell me about your workplace culture. Interesting. Interesting. You obviously make some really, really good points there. And and I think this whole idea of trust, it's just underpins anything you want to do at work, whether it's work from home, whether it is, like you've said, whether it's a four-day work week, um, whether it's giving people, I know that I, I know people who don't have full access to client lists because they're worried that someone's mm. going to go and steal them. Or certain systems yeah. that makes the kind of workflows really clunky. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just stupid because like Leanne said, you've got to trust them and you're just going to, and some people will yeah. fuck you over at some point because that's just life. It's just life, isn't but, it? But Someone's like, going to break your heart. It, do you know what? That's exactly the analogy I was going to go with. Okay. So um, if you are convinced at this point that four, that a four day work week is for you, or at least you just want to find a bit more about it, then Joe and Banks are basically the experts. Now, if you are a larger organization, then you probably gravitate towards Joe. If you're a smaller organization, then Banks is probably a man. So I'll ask Banks a little bit more about his program. Yeah. So my program is targeted at small businesses, um, small teams of under, say, 20 to 25 people. Um, and, and then the program really walks through four steps. The first is how do you design a four day work week pilot? And really, again, so the whole entire focus is on before you, before you buy it for the forever, why don't you try it out over the course of a pilot? You design it, then you begin as a team to plan it. Then you actually run a pilot, then you measure it and evaluate if you want to keep it for the long term. How do you begin to facilitate a process internally where your team can consider ways to prioritize and deprioritize? How do you look at priorities in the company and figure out if those are the most essential? How do you, what are the HR dimensions to it? Thinking about local municipal issues of, of HR issues. So going, going through everything from the operationalizing it. Um, and, and the course is an online resource that's manifested uh, through a series of modules, lessons, videos, PDFs. And this is the course that I wanted for myself when we went through the four-day workweek pilot um, and gives uh, creates an evergreen resource. Once you get into the program, you have these modules, lessons, PDFs forever, and you can kind of refer back to them. Yeah, smartworkweek.io is the best place to go. Um, and the program's there. Uh, you can access the course and also provide some specific coaching with me. So people have access to an online set of resources and guides and videos. They also have access to specific additional questions via phone calls and coaching with me. What a brilliant service. I think if you have any concerns or or need this helping hand through this, a tried and tested method, um, then I think it's brilliant. Could you imagine if we would have had that, the shift to remote work at the the start of the pandemic? I I know. 
I know, but I'm glad it's I'm glad it's around now. Now Joe also does something similar, but for, again for slightly larger organizations, and he has a very specific process he goes through. Is this right for you? Are you ready for it? What will it look like? What are the things that will need to be addressed? Because it's not one size fits all, then our model to kind of help companies implement this is also not one size fits all. So it's very customized based on what are the needs of the company and, and what's the kind of, you know, what's the baseline based on that diagnostic that we do. Um, the first thing that we would tend to do with, with, with companies is a diagnostic process, which looks at their processes, their culture. It takes a holistic view of this in order to kind of answer three key questions. Number one, how ready are you for a shorter working week? Second question is, what are the pain points? What are the potential issues and challenges that you might need to overcome in implementing this? And then the third thing is, what's the right model? So what's the pros and cons of different, whether it's four-day week, nine-day fortnight, half-day Friday, shorter work days, universal day off, rosters. You are right. I love Joe. The first step, a diagnostic, whatever that intervention, whether it's a four-day work week, whether it's a well-being program, whether it's a mentoring program, it's a team building day. How does this fit into the changes that you're trying to make within your culture? How are we going to measure that? How are we going to know exactly what solution is right? It's not, it's not always very sexy, but the first step should always be understanding exactly where you are now. Joe, you're my new favorite. <laughs> okay, so we have covered an awful lot here. We've talked about the problems with doing it. We've talked about the concerns around it. We've talked about what business models it does and doesn't work for. Uh, we've talked all about whether it's a trend and whether it's just faddy or not. Um, and we've also shown you, given you two great experts you can go and talk to a little bit more. All of the links will be in the show notes. Leah, anything that you want to add to this? The only thing that I would add is that given the state of the workplace now, the, the rising cases of burnout, the continuing low levels of engagement, and didn't we see some statistics come out last year around... Um, 20% of productivity being lost per employee per week. Mm. Well, that's your four-day work week right there. <laughs> um, I think it's, it's kind of the thing of we haven't got it right. In fact, right now, we're getting it horribly, horribly wrong. So if we're looking at, at any change, whether it's a four-day work week or not, let's not pretend that we've got it right and this is going to disrupt things for you know for the worst. The, the chances are if it's done well, it's going to make significant improvements, not only in terms of our business's performance, but our employees' well-being as well. Bravo, bravo. And that's that's the reason you listen to this podcast, because we get experts in, but then Leanne is just brilliant at coming in with a little summary that just makes you go, huh, she's right, you know. <laughs> So next week, we have got a generational panel, I think. Uh, you, Leanne put that together. You've done. You actually done a video on this one, haven't you? Yeah, this is exciting. So it's our first full video podcast that is going to be coming out next week. So you'll be able to see the full video on the YouTube. Um, <laughs> and also, if you don't watch Gavin and Stacey, that'll make no sense. Um, so yeah, you're going to see... Some of it's quite cheeky. <laughs> some of it is, although our generational panel isn't. No. Um, it's very, very clever and sensible and insightful. Um, so yeah, that's exciting. Um, and yeah, we'll also be at the water cooler, as we mentioned at the top there next week as well. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully see some of our lovely listeners there. Come and see us. Um, and for those of you who can't make it, thank you for listening. <laughs> 
yes, we really appreciate. We'll send you a check in the post. <laughs> Finally, if you do want to make sure your website is ranking on Google, then go and look at Ferry's company. The link is in the show notes. Really, I just love how simple it is. I mean, if nothing else, just go and get him to pitch you on what what his company does and how much it costs, and you'll just say, go, huh, he's just simplified the lot. It's brilliant. Really like the guy, and also go and check out on LinkedIn because he's fucking, he's hilarious on LinkedIn. Um, you'll see he's sitting there on a sofa with, I think it was Brad Pitt, I can't remember, it might have been Leonardo DiCaprio. He's rubs, <laughs> that was funny. Rub shoulders. Yeah, we will leave all the links to all of our guests um, in the show notes, along with some more links from us, how you can join the conversation around truth and lies on LinkedIn, um, and some previous episodes of our dive into our back catalogue. See you next week. Bye. Bye.